My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in Portland, Oregon, by way of San Jose in the Bay Area. She's a thoughtful person that makes beautiful ceramic objects and sells plants. In this conversation, we talk about her giving herself permission to take more time. We talk about reconciling within herself her relationship with her parents. And we talk about the fragility of life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Katrina Alfano. Okay, so you're the first person that I've had on that I don't have a prior uh, personal relationship with. So I was curious about that. Yeah, I was I was wondering. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm excited because uh, I get to know you on this podcast, and you know the listeners will too. Um, so before we start, something that I've noticed recently in my life because I I have like virtual meetings with people is that. I feel like we're all a little less guarded and a little bit more candid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that might be due to just people are so like they have this pent up energy mm. and they need to get it out a little bit. But mm-hmm. I also feel like it's kind of refreshing. Um, like last week I had a meeting with somebody that I had never met before <laughs> and we ended up spending the first like 30 minutes of the meeting just talking about our lives and what we're currently struggling with, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I say all of that to say, or to ask, um, you know, how are you doing? How have you been, um, through all of the stuff that's going on around us right now? Thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) That means a lot to me. Um, you know, I was hoping you would ask, you know, because you think it would come really natural at a time like this in the time we're living in to ask someone how they're doing. Um, and I've been thinking about a way to describe it, but I, I have this generic thing that keeps coming to my mind of saying, well, you know, I've had these extreme highs and these extreme lows mm. and nothing really feels like it's in between, yeah. which is, which is really, really rough. Do you, do you feel like that? Yeah, I, I, I think I do. I'd, I'd like to hear what those highs and lows have been. Uh, maybe I can share my experiences with that as well. Well, here at home in my personal life, I've had a lot of lows. Mm. Um, like, so I'm married and I live here in Southeast Portland. I'm on this side or on the east side of the river and uh, with my husband, Anthony. Mm. And Anthony just lost his dad in April. And oh, it was no. really, really sudden. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. Dude. Um, so that that is a part of our life every day now, and it's low, you know, it's low. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Katrina, do you have music playing? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. Um. Thanks for saying something about that. Because, you know, I forgot it was even on, to be honest. Uh, yeah, Honestly, so, I didn't even hear it until just now. I was like, wait, that's a mood right now. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I totally forgot I had it on. Yeah, um, yeah man, so low, real low, you yeah. know. Um, and then there's highs. So there's these really great highs of, um, 
like complex individual emotions and going in through the day and day. So I, I try to uh, focus when I'm at work, I have friendships that are building and mm. they're building in this, this very interesting new environment of we wear masks all the time and we're telling people like our customers how to stand, where to stand, what to do. We're disinfecting all the time. So it feels like we're on a battlefield and at least that's how it feels for me. So there's extreme highs that come with that of being very proud and coming together and having this in, this camaraderie that I've never felt with people before. Right. Um, and it's very separate from my personal life, which is really cool. I've never really had that experience of being able to, uh, I feel like I'm going between two worlds. I come right. home and I, I'm at home and I'm dealing with uh, someone I care about deeply going through a lot of pain. And, and then also trying to understand that pain for me as well, because I also knew the person. So, um, you know, navigating those waters, but then going to work and having, um, just kind of going out to, I feel like I go out to battle yeah. in a sense, you know, I leave home the comforts of my home and then I go out and I meet my buddies and we, you know, go through an eight hour work shift five days a week and <laughs> we're dealing with, uh, you know, navigating those waters during a yeah. pandemic really you know yeah i i <laughs> totally get that i mean that's um that's a tough situation but i also understand like do you find that work is kind of like a reprieve from it almost feels i don't know actually <laughs> i mean there's it's, it's kind of confusing the situation because it's you're like creating these relationships at work you're you're experiencing this um, this teamwork, but at the same time, it's it's like you're dealing with uh, a situation where uh, it sounds like you have to interact with the public, um, mm -hmm. and you know the 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 fears that come with that because of mm -hmm. the coronavirus. Um, what yeah. what do you do? What what where do you work? What do you do for work? I work at Portland Nursery. Have you been? Oh, you do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been, but I've uh, I've heard great things about it. Um, I mean, they're like a local celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really, really cool people working there, yeah. man. I mean, yeah, some really kind, intelligent, good people. Um, it's pretty incredible. I, I'm really fortunate to work alongside of some of the smartest, uh, like people that have graduated from um, college with biology and botany degrees and, you know, maybe pursued that along their path to get to the nursery, but now they've settled at the nursery and they've worked there for, you know, 14 to 20 years and they're just educating the community and the public about how to deal with plants. And it's just, it's really incredible. It's humbling too, but yeah, that's where I work. It's fantastic. It's a great yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're working there so that, yeah, that's like a, you're dealing with the public. Um, mm -hmm. how, how have you been kind of, um, I, I don't know, like, I guess working through that or handling it? Like, uh, how's that been for you? Well, I've been, it's been, I mean, it's been pretty good. I, yeah. I go in, I go in as strong as I can be. And then, um, you know, I, I team up, like I find a pack, like I have a really good buddy of mine. I work there with him and we've teamed up really really well and we have each other's back and some it's just let me give you some sort of idea of what we deal with people come there and um because it's outdoors 
it feels safer and it's also just a place where people can be around plants and birds because there's a lot of birds um right about five acres worth of of retail nursery um but you know you can walk outside you can chill so since the pandemic has begun um you know not only is the pandemic difficult for people as it is set alone but when you go somewhere that you have gone for years and years and it's a certain way and it's changed now because there's rules and regulations it's really hard on the public so the public tends to lash out and they get angry and aggressive so how we're navigating that is we're just trying to be as kind and firm as possible so it's just this really nice balance between hey you know in order to stay open as a nursery we have to follow these rules so mm -hmm. while you're here you have to wear a mask and we have to socially distance and we have to be aware of each other at all times because that's yeah. what we do and you know folks that's it's just scary it's just a really scary scary time because it's such a dramatic change yeah. so um as so that's what we're dealing with and in high spring when you know we've come out of winter and people want to plant and they want to garden and then all of a sudden there's a pandemic added to that uh that kind of zest for life that we call it this <laughs> It's almost like we there's a lot of bees coming in through the nursery because everything's very busy in spring and people are just they're coming out of hibernation. So um, it, it's been a really interesting mixture of being overwhelmed during a pandemic as a worker. We're overwhelmed at all times. It's always overwhelming for us. There's never a reprieve from feeling like we could kick back, put our feet up and relax. We can't even be close to each other. You know, there's no going right. out years at the end of a work day you know like we're not doing that man we're not you know we're not even really meeting in parks uh in fact we as as a group of people that work at the nursery aren't being social with one another um so it's just it's it's rough so you find you find alternative ways you know you find ways of being social with each other reaching out to each other being close and that comes through in my in my experience it's been through hard work so the hardest workers are coming together, the people that are like managing it in a way that suits them best and they're able to work really hard. So if people need help, you depend on a certain amount of people to do that because you know that they're okay and they're navigating it in their way. That makes sense. It's been, I've been teaming up with really hard workers, people that are, are um, they come in, they clock in and they're literally there to help customers get whatever plants they need, loading plant matter. Um, so yeah, it's it's been really good for me because I get to you know kind of practice hard work, have a really high um, work ethic while under extreme amount of stress. And it's kind of like an interesting game <laughs> that we play with, <laughs> with, you know, how do we maintain our job and our professional attitude while going through, you know, a pandemic. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine because um, when I go out, when I go to like the grocery store or, I mean, I guess, I guess that's it. The grocery store. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like I'm pretty on edge. Um, and you know, it's good to see that everyone is wearing masks and kind of social distancing and stuff like that, but I get stressed and that's only for like a moment out of my day. Um, I can't really imagine how it is for somebody that's out there all day. Uh, I mean, basically, uh, eight to five or eight to six, like you said. And um, I am, I want to know, like, 
how what's the emotional toll that is taken on you I, I you know you're like you said that you're stressed all day how does that affect you how, how have you noticed a difference in h- how you uh, feel or how you've been that's such a good question thanks for asking Dustin I you know man um I'm definitely leaning into the seasons more I think I've taken a lot of comfort in the fact that falls here and it's not going to be so hot when I go to work and there's not going to be so many people when I go to work mm. and I can you know uh, stick to a chore list when I'm there rather than worrying about educating people on you know what to buy how to plant you know <laughs> about yeah. plants I mean the, the education aspect to the job I think is the most grueling so fall comes around and I'm leaning into it so I'm moving really slow like I, I actually am late to work quite a bit these days like mm-hmm. I don't show I show up maybe 15 minutes late um, but no one's hassling me about it and I'm pretty I'm pretty willing to talk to my boss about why I'm late so I move I move slow I move really slow I give mm-hmm. myself extra time to wake up in the mornings um, so I'm leaning into these practices of going okay I can chill just for a hot minute. You know, I can I can move a little slower. I don't have to be so fast. I don't have to be um, so quick to respond to people. Like at work, I I listen more now than I do just on long response mode. Oh, what is this person going to ask me about? You know, mm. um, you know what what do they need as far as a plant? So it's very much I listen and then I can kind of walk with people. So the seasons. So the the seasons are the only thing that's saving me right now is fall is being yeah. able to relax. So um, that's how I'm, I'm navigating it. And I, you know, and I eat a lot of pot. I eat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Maybe I should be <laughs> as straightforward with you as possible. I eat a lot of pot. I manage yeah. anxiety and um, I'm, I manage it with that um, because I can, because I am able to, you know, right. I'm very fortunate <laughs> that I can do that. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I mean, you know, I, uh, I also use pot. I, I use it to chill. Um, it's not, you know, purely medicinal. I, I use it for fun and chill. But yeah, I've noticed myself using it more um, in the last, you know, six months, just because I can, like you said, I, I'm, I work at home. So like, I have that luxury of um, doing whatever I want. I don't have to be on camera all day. I don't have to be in meetings. Mm. Um, so I, I feel lucky and uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, you said something about the um, giving yourself extra time, uh, mm. like like giving yourself extra time to wake up, mm. to listen to people, to even get to work. Um, that when you said that, it, it really, um, it really resonated with me. Like I felt it when you said it. And I think, I think there's something about that. Uh, there's something about that. That's like true to, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like it's like a, a, a shared experience mm-hmm. where people are just like, all right, well we can't go anywhere. So <laughs> let's just lean into this time that we have, you know, and forgive each other, which, mm-hmm feels very very human mm-hmm. um another thing that's kind of like a silver lining i guess in all of this um can you talk a little bit more about that i don't know if you have anything more to say about that but i'd like to hear like what that's been like what what 
like giving yourself extra time what has that been like for you to do that man um you know it, it just occurred to me that i i i think it's a form of of bravery because mm. i i'm giving myself more time um not only because physically and mentally i i actually really need it i think i might explode if i don't mm. i because I, because i went through you know it started when i started realizing i needed to give myself more time was when I would get up in the morning and I'd get ready for work and I would feel so low that I would I would start to cry. So I would cry like my way through my morning routine. I'd be like, I got to brush my teeth. I got to you know get dressed. I got to you know drink my coffee. And I would just have these spurts of crying because I was thinking about a lot of things that were so sad. And then I would you know leave the house. I'd lock the door. I'd walk to work and I would cry. And I just kept crying and I couldn't stop crying. So this one time I cried myself all the way to work and I went up to my, my boss at the time and I said, hey, I can't stop crying. I don't feel good, I need to go home. I can't work today. And my boss was so upset to see me like this and they were so kind, you know? So I walked my, my butt home and I cried all the way home and then I went to bed and I woke up and then I felt a little bit better. So I had this happen to me about three times and only one out of those three times that I actually excuse myself from work and that's not healthy first off i should probably have stayed home quite a bit but this so this bravery of taking my time comes from um i think it's bravery because i no longer care what other people are going to say to me like for instance i wouldn't i would go to work even if i was crying because i was worried that i was going to get fired and i was going to lose my job and i can't lose my job during the pandemic you know that was those were my first gut instinctual thoughts oh i can't lose my job i must work and now at this point i'm brave enough to say you know if someone wants to come and talk to me about why i didn't show up to work today or why i'm 15 minutes late or why i'm moving slower they should come have that conversation with me because i'll be more than honest with them you know yeah you know this is it, it just it, be, it you become braver and also i think i'm seeing a lot of bravery around me despite how horrible people are treating each other i'm seeing this bravery this spirit of people are starting to are starting to question how we've been living for so long this drive this push this who are we working for what are we working for Mm, what mm -hmm. you know what how are we going to achieve the american dream how are we going to be good people and have money and have homes and solid foundations and now it's like actually <laughs> wait a minute let's stop for a second and think about all these things and maybe you know stop thinking about all these things <laughs> by yeah. thinking about these things we can stop thinking about them and actually realize that um you know we're no good to anybody if we're we're sad and struggling i mean sadness is natural but yeah, so I'm just becoming braver, and I think that's why I take my time now. And why I'm slower is because I'm becoming brave, and I'm right. becoming able to stand up for myself and say, "Wait a minute, mentally and physically, I'm actually not doing well at all." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I, I uh, there's there's definitely something to the 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 being brave. I feel that as well, and I feel it's also like regaining some autonomy over our lives mm. um yeah. i feel yeah. like there's like a collective yes. uh, uh shift that's gonna happen i think we're gonna be affected by this regardless of it, it's whether it's conscious or subconscious i mm. feel like we're all gonna be questioning certain things um 
I can't even imagine like the college kids that are graduating now. I graduated in 2009 and it was that was like the, you know, the recession and that was terrible. And this is like a hundred times worse than that, you know. So I can't even imagine what those kids are going through in terms of like existential crises and yes, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. questioning like, do we? What was that all for? What did what did I do that all for? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. All of the I, hard work, you know, the four to however many years, but usually the four years of college, that grind, that push, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, all that time and investment into learning and just being a good student because you've graduated. I mean, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really tough. Oh yeah. man, it's going to be really tough, but I mean, maybe it could be also a very good thing. I think so. <clears throat> I think, <laughs> I think, I think it's something that's not going to be able to be measured. Um, <laughs> like you're going to be able to look at the numbers and you're not going to be able to look at the numbers and say like this thing happened or that thing happened. But I, I feel like people are shifting. Um, and even if it's, uh, you know, this is my personal opinion, but even if it's something that that kind of fades away, I feel like the residual will still be there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I'm hoping something stays around when when this all ends. You know, I immediately thought about, I don't know if you've heard about this, but how, you know, genetically things, uh, traits, personality traits are, are uh, can be handed down through generation. You know? Right on dna i thought about this residual that you just said <laughs> this residual that if you know we were to take care of children whether we have our own families or we adopt whatever which way we go about that but if we were to teach children about this time and, and also the children that are growing up in this time they have this residual that i think will go through and forward with them and their children you know right will right. we'll know about it it's just it's actually i think you think you're onto something yeah i yeah. agree yeah, even, yeah, even if the, the it's almost like this flame that bursts really, really hot at first, you know, and then it starts to dim down. And if this this concept of owning our own lives and, and being a, autonomous, that, that is that the word you used? Yeah. Yeah. And, and having, you know, that spirit, even if it dims a little bit, it will. I think, man, I love that you use that word residual. I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, it will. It will. It will be moving forward. It will. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I I hope so too. I yeah. I'm I'm curious. So on the on the topic of residual, um, mm. so I, I think about this a lot. Like how the generations before us, uh, how I like for me personally, like I have, um, I've kind of noticed how my dad lives and I, and my mom lives and everyone that's come before me, my uncles and aunts, and I think about how. I'll do differently uh, moving mm-hmm. forward. But then there's also the, the residual things that hang around from them. Um, you know, certain issues or traumas that stay around and those affect them. And because it it affected them, it affects me, right? Because yeah. they parented me. I'm curious yeah. for you, what, what things... Um, what things have carried down and, and uh, if there are any things, what things have you intentionally stopped um, that, you know, came down from whoever your your ancestors were? It's funny because for the first time as you were talking just now, I actually saw, 
my relationship with my parents in a way that I've never seen it before. So this residual passed down. I've, I've always felt that I've been trying to be the people that I thought my parents once were before they stopped being who they were. So it's like, for instance, my dad, I have this idea of my dad. I don't really know him too well, but what I do know of him is he's from the East Coast and he comes from a country family people living out in the country and he had a horse at one time and he listened to Led Zeppelin and he smoked pot and he, you know, was just this hellraiser. But as a, at, that was before he met my mother and before he went into the Navy and before he is who he is now. So it's, I've, I'm always trying to grab at that. Um, hmm. I'm grabbing at the pieces that I feel that my parents let go of at a very young age. And I'm trying to, exemplify those pieces to be those pieces because those are the pieces that I admire most and my mom she I don't know much about her actually as a child I know she was raised um, really strict and um, not as strict as she raised me but she was you know it was pretty strict and I don't really know much about her to be honest I don't really know much about them enough I do know that the things that I've gone through with both of them have allowed me to finally come to this because you asked. I didn't really realize I was doing that with my parents, like grab, grab, trying to find out who they were before they were the people that I knew, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like, cause I don't necessarily admire who they are. Like I look at my mom mm. and I see her and I, I don't admire her in any way. I really don't. And same with my father. I, I actually fundamentally don't agree with anything they've chosen to do in their lives since I've known them, <laughs> since I was conceived. Right. All I have, I mean, I grip onto these stories of who they were before I became, um, before they had me, and I really enjoy who they were. I, I yeah. love the stories. I love them more than who I know now. And it's kind of, and, and I think that's what I'm, I hope that answers your question, or I hope I'm not going down this big rabbit hole that you, you're kind of struggling no, with. No, no, no. understand. That no i think that's i think that's um that's a beautiful answer um i i just thought I, of that though you, you yeah did that's that. that's I, awesome <laughs> you helped me think about that i i wasn't really thinking about <laughs> so so that idea about hanging on to what your parents were before you knew them yes. um well one thing is how did you hear those stories did they tell you oh no my grandparents thank goodness uh, okay yeah, so it never came from them got it never came from them because I never had, I've never been able to have conversations with them about their past. Right. They're, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're not into that at all. They don't care. About gotcha. Talking, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So, so it was really like when you say that you, you didn't, or you don't know your, your parents, it's because you just haven't gotten to know them. Right. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I guess so. Cause my mom, so my mom and dad split when, they were going to have me. So my mom was pregnant with me and my dad was going to the Navy and he was stationed over in Italy and he's taken off and he's like, let's go. And she's like, nope. So she divorced my dad and then met a woman. So she came out of the closet as well. So not only was she pregnant with me, divorcing my father, but coming out of the closet, she met a woman, which is my adopted mother. And they've been together since I was like, geez, oh, man, maybe three, maybe three years old. Yeah. So it was about three years after my mom had me. So my mom's been living this life. So when she had me and then she met my adopted mom, 
and they lived together. My mother just worked. All, that's all she did. She went, she got up in the morning and she worked. And then she came home and she ate dinner and then went to bed and got up and worked again. So my interactions with my biological mother were very few and far between. Like we had a, we did have a relationship, but it wasn't deep. It wasn't intellectual in any way. Mm. It wasn't, um, it was really just, that's how it was. So my adopted mother pretty much raised me. I was raised with someone else, even though we all lived in the same roof. And my father, my dad was in the military, you know, he was, he was like, he was in the Navy. He was doing things in submarines and creating bombs and, dismantling bombs and that's what my father had kind of become and he dedicated i think it was 20 something years 22 maybe years of his life to the navy and uh you know he had remarried and he had his own family so when i would see him and visit him it was very much like hi hello and then i would kind of join in with his family and i would do like family outings we'd go fishing or we'd go camping you know, my stepmom would make us Taco Tuesday. We'd have Taco Tuesday. Yeah. You know, that it was just right. like very, it just wasn't deep and it wasn't intellectual and it wasn't, it was just very much, I was a child kind of, you know, with these two people and um, what, yeah. So I don't really know them. I never really got to know them. You know, I yeah. don't have a relationship with them much now at all. I don't talk to my mother and my father talks to me in a sense, you know, like he's, He's come around a bit, but yeah, you know, I, yeah, it's, uh, do you, my grandma, yeah. <laughs> do you, um, do you hold like a resentment towards them because of that? Uh, I hold, because, of- oh, well, I mean, no, no, not because of that. I don't really, I don't really care to be mm, honest. Right. I, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, what I care about was my upbringing with my mom and my adopted mom. And that was a serious, serious, serious thing because that was my life. I spent all my childhood being raised by them and it was really, really difficult. And Mm. I resent my mom for not leaving that situation because my biological mom was very sick. She was dealing with um, bipolar disorder and it was in the nineties and lithium was huge. I don't know if you've ever heard of that medication. Yes. Yeah, you know, remember, I remember Kurt Cobain talking about lithium (laughs) back in the 90s grunge era, you know. Um, Yeah, and his songs, Nirvana was like, it was really strange being able to connect my musical interests with something such as big as like a mental um, illness. It was it was really serious. Um, And so my my adoptive mom was on and off this medication called lithium, and it was really difficult for her. And um, she would go into like high mania and really low, low depression. And in between those two moods was extreme violence. So she was very, very Mm. angry at all times. So my mom, you know, my mom and I were in this situation where it was like, just, it was not good. Um, So I am always resentful towards my mother for never leaving. Uh, I will always be resentful. I will die resentful. I will die very angry with the fact that she chose to stay. and I, I, you know, family, you know, family come around me and they're like, oh, Katrina, you gotta, you gotta forgive and you gotta, you know, you yeah. gotta have that, that forgiveness in you. It's like, nah, nah, I, I can't do that. I, and I don't think that's who I am. And I, you know, I refuse to be told otherwise. And my father, my father, he did whatever he wanted to do, which is kind of an interesting trait. Um, you know, he, he's dealing with being him, 
and his like human experience is probably extremely intricate, more intricate than I can actually probably comprehend. Um, Cause I think about it often like, oh geez, he goes into the Navy and my mother divorces him. And then she's pregnant with his first child and she wants nothing to do with him. And now he's off doing his thing. And how does he have a relationship with that child? How, you know, and all this stuff that he's probably dealt with. So I, I can't resent him for much of anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, but yeah, cause also, yeah, I just don't, I don't really have a problem with the choices he's made. I fundamentally don't agree with him being in the military. I have a mm-hmm. big problem with that, but that's, you know, that is what it is, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, but I, that, yeah. go ahead. Um, I want to go back to your stepmom and growing up in like a, a violent household. I I have a personal experience with that. Uh, my my <laughs> when you said um, that you resent your mom for not you know getting herself out of that that relationship because of how it affected you probably right um, and her. Um, I understand that completely. My my parents like they were they were also pretty pretty violent uh growing up. Um especially my dad. And I guess it's a little bit different because uh your stepmom wasn't or your your uh adopted mom um wasn't uh like she wasn't your original birth giver, I guess. And so there's like a separation there. Whereas for me, I always wanted my parents to divorce because it was just a terrible situation to be in. And I did resent them for that when I was a kid also. Um, But I think there's something about growing up in a, a violent household as a kid when you're essentially helpless, right? You can't really get a job or run (laughs) away. I mean, you're, you're, you're like, you know, you're, uh, you have to succumb to the adults that are taking care of you. Uh, and I'm, I want to know like what, uh, or how did that, how did that affect you or influence you? Um, were you, were you angry as a kid? Um, and when you look back now, uh, how do you think it's, it's kind of changed your trajectory or affected your trajectory? I always was like, I mean, I think I was angry. I mean, I, I think I was angry as a kid. I never really thought about that, actually. Um, I just remember always thinking that I lived really day by day. I remember, and I just remember thinking, I got to get through today, and then I got to get through tomorrow, and I got to get through today, and then tomorrow, and it would just repeat. It was always this, like, from the moment I woke up, the moment I went to bed, I I had to follow this type of routine, this this strict, it was so, it was weird. I I, I try to think about how to, so I I wake up and I would get ready for school, right? And maybe I'd have like morning chores and then I'd have a morning breakfast. And that's how my life in the morning would start. And then I'd go to school and then I'd do my school thing. I'd go home and I wouldn't really know, like mornings were really calm in my house. Um, And then when I'd come home, I wouldn't really know what I was up against because I knew my mom was still going to be working. So my other mom, my stepmom, I mean, she was my stepmom or, or adopted mom or whatever, but my other mom, 
uh, she was there because that's what she she lived off of disability. She was really sick, so she mm. wasn't she didn't have a job. So she was she was there. She spent from morning to night at home doing home things. So I didn't know what I was coming into. So I have a good day at school. I'd come home, and then that's when things would like just pop off. You know, uh, she would have a list of chores for me to do. So I would do these chores, and if she was angry at me in between the chores, I would have to deal with getting my ass kicked, and then do homework and then eat dinner and then go to bed. And then sometimes she'd wake me up in the middle of the night to like kick my ass. It was just this, and Jesus. that was it. And that's what that, but that was it, you know, like that, that's how it was. It, and, and the only good things of my childhood were leaving. So when I, like my mom would come in and mm. I was always coming, they were always coming into my room because they sent me there a lot. Like I lived in my room and they would like, send me there and then they'd come in and like have these announcements and my mom would announce you're going to your grandparents this weekend and then she'd leave the room right and i just i i remember just being in my room going yes yes <laughs> so then i get to go to my grandparents you know so i'd either yeah. go to like her parents house my grandma gloria which lived in santa clara and it was some of the greatest years of my life spending with her mm -hmm. um she was so rad oh she was the coolest and she lived across the street from my great-grandmother anyway so that's a whole nother thing. But like, so I would get really excited, you know, and I'd get pumped. And um, so that's how it was. And how, how does that affect me today? Um, well, you know, oh gosh, shoot, it affects everything. I mean, that, I would, you know, that it affects everything. I just, I'm anxious at all times. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very expected, right? Because growing up in a place where you have to anticipate at all times like mm -hmm. what what is going to happen next what's going to yes. happen next am i in trouble um yep. yeah that's uh, it sets you up to be anxious when you get older for sure yeah because the trouble i was getting into wasn't rational you know like mm. you, i mean remember when you were a kid and you knew you were going to get in trouble because you did something and you're like oh well i got caught like smoking pot for me it was that was a big deal i don't know why or like whatever you did like what did you do do you remember having those experiences where like, oh shit, I fucked up and my dad or my mom are going to figure it out and I'm going to be yeah. in trouble. Oh yeah, all the time. Right? Well, well <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like going out late or something like that uh, when I was a little bit older. Um, maybe fighting with my brother. That was another yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it's no, I'm not saying that there are reasons to get like those, what am I trying to say? I'm not saying that getting beat by your parents for doing something obvious, like fighting with your brother or, you know, staying yeah. out too late is, is a good thing. Getting beat in general is not a good thing. It should not happen to any child at all. Yeah. Um, but I have to be very specific that when I, when I talk about my day as a child, because that's what I think about. When I think about my childhood, I think about either being with my grandparents or living that day-to-day -day life. Um, I have to be very specific that I was, I was dealing with someone that had no, like she was not rational. There was no rationality right. to it. So it made it a little bit more difficult in my, in my way of being able to navigate it. That, oh, you know what? I mean, some of the things were so bogus that she'd get mad at me for. And I, I remember at a really young age looking at her going, what is wrong? I don't, I couldn't understand, you know, it didn't mm. compute to me. It wasn't like rational, it wasn't logical, it wasn't anything. It was just this wild, anger man so <laughs> i guess uh i could say saying that that i've become more situationally aware 
because of that. I can yeah. walk into situations and I can read a room because of that, you know, because that's what I did all my yeah. childhood. Do, do, do you find you can read a room or you can, you're very much aware of a situation if you walk into it because there was violence done to you? Do you Absolutely. Find- yeah. Nice. Um, cool. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. So growing up, um, I was pretty angry. And mm-hmm. the thing you say about like being able to read a room, um, I was talking to a friend yesterday. He He's the type of person that is able to read a room uh, but then he uses his powers for good. He he mm. tries to comfort people and welcome people and that kind of thing. Whereas when I was growing up, um, because I had to constantly pay attention to my own flaws because they were being pointed out all the time, I was counter-attacking at all times as well, in terms, cool. at least yeah. in my mind. And so when I walk into a room, um, or at least when I was younger, even like, t- you know, Five years ago, ten years ago, I would. It was almost like I would walk into a room and everyone was holding up a sign of every insecurity they had, and I was like, "Oh, I see. That's an insecurity, and that's an insecurity, and I can point that out," um, which is extremely unhealthy <laughs> and terrible if you uh, want to be a good human or have any kind of healthy relationship. But you know, that's that's what it was for a long time for me. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like when I walk into a room, I, I, I'm aware of not just like how people are about themselves, like how they perceive me as well. You know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm hyper aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned, um, intellectual conversations and you also mentioned it, um, or the lack (laughs) of it in your relationship with your, your mom. Mm. Um, I'm, can you talk about that? Like, what what is it about intellectual conversations? What 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 do you define as an intellectual conversation, and why is that important to you? Yeah, I mean, why would I even say intellectual conversation? I guess I I'm I'm talking about you know talking about what's on your mind, yeah. you know, or, or, or talk yeah, just being able to talk, um, through the brain, <laughs> right, right, like just thinking about something and then talking about it and then letting that go and expand into other things and it's kind of like a, a flowing river it was yeah i mean i guess that's what i mean by intellectual conversation just talking it's a yeah. lot of i think there needs to be what 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 has brought that word on is because i'm participating in this with you mm. and and it's something i've been thinking about and it's kind of been brought on i think because of the pandemic touching it back on that so there's not a lot of maybe hmm, how do i say this I, I hope that people are going to become more aware of the lack of conversation they're having with one another. I think that there, there's a lot of people out there not talking. Um, I think they're talking maybe through social media. They're talking through visual, uh, like media, you know, like photography is one way I talk. Um, but sitting down or having a phone call or being interviewed or having a conversation with someone for however long, I don't, think it really exists uh, mm. or it exists but it doesn't exist as much as I would want it to between people yeah. you know people yeah. don't really want to sit and talk I don't really know if we can sit and talk anymore because we have the masks on and we socially distance so that right there might actually be a hindrance to having these types of conversations even though 
you have made it clear that you can still talk to people and share their stories. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that, absolutely. And, and I've just been, th- I've been thinking about it and how much I value this and how I hope other people start participating in, in time and, and things like this, like what you've created as like, Hey, we're going to talk about things. I might ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you questions and you can ask me questions. We're just going to talk and you're going to be open to answering them or maybe not. And yeah. that's that. And then maybe your story will be shared. And that's what, that's what's happening. And I don't know, Dustin, do you know many people that are participating in activities like this? Um, I, I think it's generally very rare. Mm. Um, and I think the, the formality of a podcast of like the, an interview format, it, mm. it kind of force, it's like a, a forcing mechanism. It, it forces you into this role of being a, a person that's sharing a story or asking uh, questions. Right. So like the roles that we're both playing right now. And I feel like that gives both of us permission to do things that we wouldn't normally do outside of this space. So I think I think just because of that alone, it might be rare. Now, I feel like with um, just having conversations about things, I think you're right. I think it doesn't happen enough. And, you know, part of that, that's part of why I wanted to start this project, because I feel like the only way to have empathy for another person uh, uh, to understand another person and to see them as like a human being is to have some level of discourse to talk to somebody and understand what their worldview is and maybe that's the thing that is causing like like I, I don't know about you but I feel like the the political conversation has gotten so much more divided um, since we were both younger and I feel like that's due to lack of conversation. I found it in myself too. I'm not even pointing fingers. I'm pointing fingers at myself, you know, like I have the same things where I'll listen to somebody that says something that I disagree with. And I just say, well, I guess we're never going to have a relationship. And (laughs) is that healthy? I don't know. I don't think that's healthy. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it's healthy either. <laughs> and I find myself like when I listen to a podcast where somebody expresses like a, a view that I don't agree with, I I just it just makes me so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that I have to turn it off. You know, like I just I'm just so angry at mm-hmm. somebody for disagreeing with what I think is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's I don't think that's the right approach. I, I mean, the the more that I think about it, the more that I have reflected over the last few months it's just that's the conclusion that i've come to it's like we have to talk somehow you know what i mean we can't just shout at each other from opposite sides of the field um it doesn't work (laughs) no it doesn't at all imagine like being on the opposite end of a football field and you're you're shouting at someone because they can't hear you because you're so far apart. Exactly. And you're, and, I mean, that's a really good yes. metaphor because you're shouting and the only people that can hear you are the people exactly. right next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, the person can't hear you literally, they can't hear you because they're all the way on the other side of the field. And then you yep. have to repeat yourself and then you get angry because you have to repeat yourself. And it's like this cycle of just torment. Right. <laughs> right. It just doesn't work, man. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any ideas? How, how do people how do people get into these conversations more? Uh, maybe maybe not even to the level that we're going, but just 
just having a conversation where you can agree and disagree and it's okay. Well, Anthony always reminds me that we're like not we're we're so comfortable that that we're not ready to to really stand up and and uh and fight for what we need to do which is to come together you know like he's always reminding me he's like we're, we're still comfortable you wait until you're uncomfortable enough and then you're going to be out in the streets and you're going to be fighting and you're going to be really angry but you're you're not angry enough yet right. and i think that that's what's happening is that people are kind of including myself you know we're we're living these lives and we're really we're just living them and we're dealing with them in our way so we're kind of I feel like it's all a temper tantrum. That's what I see it as. I'm just gonna get right mm. to the point. I feel like people are just angry at each other because they wanna be angry and they want it to be about them and their views when ultimately it has to be about the collective view. We have to come together. And if we don't agree on things, we don't agree on things. Yeah. But there's always compromise and there's always a way to, to help each other out while you don't agree with it, or each other. You know, like whoever said that, oh, well, it stops at disagreement why does it have to stop a disagreement? Like why does a relationship and a conversation end right when you disagree with someone? Why? Like, you know, and that's the problem. It's like, just push past that disagreement and start figuring out a way, a way to like figure it out, man. You got to work, you know, you, you can't. Yeah. Ah. yeah. I mean, and, and when you yell at each other, I feel like it removes all the nuance. Yeah. You're not trying to understand anything. You're not, you're just shouting headlines at each other, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. It's just wild to me. It's just so yeah. wild. It is wild. Um, and that I, conversation, I think, needs to exist. Sorry, because I get to know you and you get to know me, and then we have trust and we have some sort of formed relationship. We've done something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And I feel like, I feel like you can like somebody and still and disagree with them. <laughs> You know yes. what I mean? And I feel like yeah. that's a healthy thing to be, like, to be able to separate. Nobody d agrees with anybody else 100%. And mm -hmm. maybe we disagree with some people more than others, but that doesn't mean that you can't treat them like a human being still. Yes. Yeah. So this, uh, if you don't mind me asking you, because I have to ask you after you just said that. What yeah. are your what are your boundaries to keeping yourself physically and mentally safe right now with everything going on? Like, what is your boundary um, when hmm. when someone, you know, what's it, what boundary does what is it? Do you have a boundary? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean in like in terms of the the political conversation? Yes. yes. Every, oh. uh, you're 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 dealing with a, a pandemic social justice issues yeah if i can safely describe them as that because i believe that that's what's happening and, and then we've got the presidential debates and the presidential election um when you when it comes down to it dustin when you lay your head at night down in your bed and you're comfy and you're feeling okay you know you're going to go yeah. to bed what's your boundary if if someone breaks into your house <laughs> to kill you. Would you would you kill them or would you injure them so you could get away or somehow get help? What would you like? What is your boundary for your physical and mental safety? Yeah, what would you do to protect that. Oh I man, yeah. That. Um, I guess maybe this goes back to the conversation with um, the coronavirus and you working with the public. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> in terms of that, I, I, before the pandemic even happened, I was a germaphobe. Um, yeah, like I wash my hands and all that. Uh, like, I make sure that I, when I touch a door, I'm like, okay, be aware of that because there might be something on there. So you can take from that how I am now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm more cautious now. Um, mm. And also because I, my parents live here and so, and I see them once a week. So um, I want to make sure that I don't spread anything to them either. Um, so in terms of that, that, that's how I'm treating that uh, basically. And, you know, there's, I, I keep, I keep wondering to myself or maybe debating with myself, like people, so when I, when I look at people online on social media and they're just hanging out and with no regard for like wearing a face mask or anything like that. I initially reacted in like frustration, like, hey, you're the reason that we're still here. You're the reason that we're still stuck inside and mm -hmm. businesses can't open up all the way. And, and at the same time, now I'm like, I understand the feeling of wanting to hang out with people and spending mm -hmm. time with people and experiencing that, like experiencing a hug. Um, I understand the the want for that, and I'm like naturally, uh, interest, uh, sorry, intro, uh, introverted, mm -hmm. and um, so I don't really need to see people, but I feel it. You know what I mean? Like I feel that that need to go out and hang out with people. But yeah, I, I mean, emotionally dealing with like the pol uh, the political conversation and social justice issues, um, I I've actually been trying to dive deeper into that and um kind of uh ex experiencing the discomfort that comes with having those conversations and consuming that information um learning about all the things that you know this country has done uh to black people um and to other minorities um so i've been I've been diving deeper into that because it's uncomfortable, but I feel like we should be uncomfortable. Does that mean that I'm going to go until I lose my sanity? No, I, I, <laughs> I'm also at the same time, I'm sitting there with uh, my emotions when I read something that's frustrating or that's really painful. I try to sit there and just kind of experience it. You know what I mean? Like just sit there and feel the, the frustration or the anger and uh, reconcile whatever that whatever that means like whether that means uh, I come to some conclusion or whether I have to let it go but that's that's how I try to handle it what about you you know Dustin I have hope that after this election we're going something else is going to happen and we're going to be able to be happy again <laughs> even, though, even though we were never really happy and no one actually i mean maybe i'm happy i'm actually happier than most people i'm very lucky um, mm. that i'm as i'm living the way i do but um yeah you know yeah yeah you know what i uh even though we're talking about these um these kind of uh dark or i don't know negative uh topics Mm. I get the I get the feeling that you're you're a 
very optimistic person. <laughs> um, is that right? Uh, do you do you think that's right? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think yeah. I don't. I don't ever think about it, but I think so because people tell me that. You know, people have said that to me, and yeah. I go thank you so much, and I always thank them, and I, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, that helps ground me in the day to day of me realizing that if I'm positive and I remain optimistic that someday that's going to be taken away from me and that's my strength. So I have to, I have to keep practicing that before it is because I'm, I'm sure Dustin that at some point that will happen to me. I don't, I don't think I'm going to, I'd like to say that I would die an old lady warm in her bed, you know, with her, you know, family by her side. You know what I mean? I would like that, but I, I don't see that coming instinctually. I don't. Mm. So why not, you know, just be, be as optimistic as you can while you have it because it's going to be yanked away. I That's really so do, interesting. I really <clears throat> do believe it is. Not only physically, but like mentally and spiritually, it'll be yanked away from us. If you're optimistic, I don't know, are you told you're optimistic at all? Do no. Say, <laughs> are, are you not? Are you not? No, I, I don't think I am. Really? Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I, I force myself to be hopeful. Um, and I don't even know what that means because <laughs> I don't know how you could do that. But I, I think logically, I, I just like convince myself that hey, um, things, things could be worse. I guess maybe that's ah, how that's how I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's well, because essentially that's what I'm telling you that I I practice is I'm always thinking about the worst possible thing, mm-hmm. and then comparing what I'm going through right now to that, and then realizing that I much rather be right now than dealing with that i think the way that you describe how you're optimistic is is very interesting um (laughs) it's like you're you're protective of it um so you're 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 optimistic but you are not optimistic about the fact that it it will stay around (laughs) in a way yeah until i'm physically you know killed you know and then like the memory of me will hold my optimism but that's about it Mm, mm mm-hmm yeah. I mean, like, should we lead an optimist optimism movement, you know, where like we all gather and we're just optimistic and then what if optimism were a weapon? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I'm, I mean, that would be kind of. Um, I mean, I hate to use weapon and optimism in the same sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just very, you know, realistic, but whatever. I mean, I think about it a lot. Whatever. I mean, wouldn't, I think that would, I think that would be great. In a way, I think optimism, um, could be replaced with kindness. Mm. Um, what if what if we were all just kind, even to people that we disagree with, like like we were talking about earlier? Yeah, um, I bet. I, you know, I think I think it's kindness that you hit it right there. You're right. You know, optimism really doesn't have much on kindness. If you're just kind to another person, <laughs> like, yeah. that can alter so much so yeah. much around you, you yeah know? absolutely gosh especially to people we disagree with especially yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. um okay so i i have a couple topics i want to talk about but you you brought up um anthony your husband a few times yeah and i relationships interest me <clears throat> because i i feel like relationships Every relationship, regardless of if they're acquaintance or 
or if they're um, someone that is really close to us, like a best friend. I feel like they all have an impact on us in a way. And so with your husband, I'm, I want to know, like, what have you learned from him? What things has he taught you or how has he influenced you? Um, I could, because I, from my experience, my Angela, my, my girlfriend, um, she's taught me so much, like the, the, the anger that I have, she's, she's pulled me to be a kinder person. Um, and she's taught me what it means to have patience and what it means to love somebody. And so I, I, I want to know from, from your side, what, what have you learned from your husband? Man, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought aunt up. I'm going to call him aunt. Cause that's what I call him. Um, yep. he's the best. He, so I used to, I used to fight with him a lot about being jealous and being possessive and, um, being really insecure. And I remember the, well, I don't know if it was the first time, but it was one of the times we were discussing it and I was really upset. And I was pretty much picking a fight with him, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, he looks at me and he says, I've been there. I know how you feel right now. And I went, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I've totally been there. I've been, I've been feeling, felt like that for so many years of my life. And I was so angry and so insecure and so upset. And then he goes, and then I just worked at it and I just became less angry. And you know, he would often repeat that or remind me of that. Um, not in every argument that I would get with him, because at times his patience would be lower, but he was always patient throughout the entire thing. So pretty much I've learned um, how to be confident in who I am and never waver from that. So look at yourself, know yourself, and don't be apologetic about it. And if you apologize for it, then that means that there's kind of like a disruptive or a disruption in the force, as I like to call it in my head. Like mm-hmm. when I start wavering and I start becoming like, oh, I talk, I have like bad self-talk, you know, and I'll become jealous <laughs> or possessive or insecure. Um, I always realize that there's, there's something about myself that I'm unwavering about. So I have to find out where that needs work and then I go to that. So sometimes it's about art or sometimes it's mm-hmm. about just social dynamics between people that piss me off. Like if someone says something to me or doesn't act in accordance to how I think they should act and I get a little upset about that, well, why am I upset about that? So he's, he's taught me how to be more emotionally aware mm-hmm. and more patient with myself and um, also how to just be less angry and aggressive because I, I, I've done that. I've practiced that way of life. I know what it's like to, you know, argue with someone for five to six hours yeah. you know, and go in circles and circles, you know, it's, and it's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people that I've met in relationships don't really talk about it, but I'm pretty candid about how good I am at keeping someone in an argument for like six to seven, maybe eight hours. Like I could, I mean, I would yeah. do that to Anthony Anthony and I would sit in the living room and we would just argue and like, you know how, and I'm assuming you've probably been there where it's like, oh, I say one mean thing to you and then you say one mean thing to me and then boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. And there's no really getting out of it, man. You're just pissed and you're angry, right. you know? Um, so like practice and so, yeah. Oh, so man, being, I, <clears throat> when you, you know? say when you say <laughs> the thing about um, uh, <laughs> bragging about being in an argument or keeping somebody in an argument, I, 
I'm smiling. I'm laughing right now because I am that person as well. Yep. So I'm just like, oh, okay. I relate to you on that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I was, I was once really good at it. Now I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think that comes out of age and like, so Anthony and I have been, we've been together for 10 years now. And by, so it wasn't until recent, we've been in Portland for about six years now. I'd say the last six years have been pretty minimal as far as arguments and fights. And that's yeah. really cool. And that's really cool. Yeah. And even more so now because uh, it's just, it, you, you, you got to get creative. So he's taught me creativity too with like how to talk and how to figure it out mm. um, and become more emotionally independent because I've depended on him for so many years. The thing about Anthony in my life, when, I, when I'm around him, I view him as um, kind of a teacher and, and, you know, there's a lot of taboo and really bad stereotypes that come out of talking about a partnership that you're, or like someone you're with sexually, because he is my partner in all of the realms, you know, he, right. he's, yeah, he's like, he's my, he's my guy. Right. But like, there's always that like, Oh, well, you know, you needed someone to be like, you hope you like shacked up with someone that is teaching you. Like they're the teacher and that's not a good thing. It's like, actually, man, if the teacher is able to teach, and has the ability to teach, then it's a good thing. Until the teacher decides, hey, I'm not going to teach you anymore, I'm not going to help you, then that's where it becomes bad. But Anthony has always been open to helping me through um, so much, you know. he yeah. I mean, he's, he's just open like that. He's able to, he's strong enough to, and he chooses to. And um, so he's like, he's my teacher, man. He's, and, and I've been fortunate enough to meet, I've never met anyone like him, but I've met renditions or like people that have taken that teacher role. Right. Um, they've kind of taken me under my, under their wing and they've taken care of me. <coughs> and that comes from being in, you know, from a childhood I've, that I have, man, I've always needed help. So Anthony's like, you know, the best teacher I could ever come to. You know, he's That's beautiful. He's That's yeah, beautiful. man, he's the, he's the best man. He's, he's a, uh, he's, he's the, greatest person i've ever met as far as uh and you know it it just is great man um so yeah patience kindness emotional intelligence speak you know how you speak to people is really important you know um when you when you talk about uh having a teacher i i feel like i feel like the best partners are willing to do that um and I, i say that because um one thing that angela has taught me is uh, she, so we were we were uh, tripping on acid, and nice. she said, um, "Love is about helping the other person accept themselves," um, which blew my mind when she said it. <clears throat> and that's just when you think about it. <clears throat> when you think about what does it mean for for you to help another person accept who they are. It means that you, it, it plays out or it manifests itself in patience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the only way you can help another person accept themselves is if you help them be patient with themselves. Mm-hmm. And that means that you have to be patient with them. Um, yes. You have to encourage them, right? Uh, support them. I mean, it's all of these things, but it, it, it comes out in all of the ways that we feel or experience love from another person. Um it comes through that, like helping another person accept themselves. 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I'm, it always makes me happy to hear about someone who's found someone that really, really loves them and that they really, really love. Um, because I feel like it's, it's so rare that that happens. Um, that doesn't mean that relationships are perfect, right? It, it just means that you you learn and you grow into that that place. But yeah, I, I just love it. That it, it, it that those are the one of the things that that gives me hope for sure. Yeah, man. I just think you know it could end any day. You know. Yeah, I mean, right, like right, I, I, hate, right. I hate to take it there, but it's just it's incredible how fleeting and and precious all of it is. You know, yeah, and yeah. it's a, it's just incredible. It's in, it's just incredible, man. For sure. So that reminds me. Sometimes we'll we'll just lay in bed and um, you know we'll be on our phones or whatever, and I'll I'll like lean over and just put my uh, head on her chest. Yeah. And <clears throat> and if you uh, like one one time I just turned my head and I listened to her heart. Yeah. And it's it was so wild because you know <laughs> like you know that somebody has a heart you know that another person has internal organs and yes they're made of flesh and things that eventually will fade away yes. um and listening to her heart and realizing that she is that she is physical tissue that will fade away um she's a real person and the, the heart is just right there like just beyond like the very skin layer, uh, the thin layer of skin and ribs, ribs. It's like right there. You know what I mean? It's so vulnerable. Right there. Right um, there. <laughs> yeah. And that thought is that is what, what I came to and what you're saying. It's like, it's so fleeting. Everyone is so temporary. And not only that, everyone is so vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone's so yeah. fragile. So fragile. It makes, it brings a, big responsibility being um being close because you and i and i hope this for you um like i would hope it for me that we are you and i we can move through our lives with these people you with angela and me with anthony and we can we can be there for when we are not together anymore like when they pass Mm. on you know and that's that's a responsibility that to kind of loop back to the original thing that I spoke about when we first started this was going back to how Anthony lost his dad and how Phil is no longer here and how maybe even touching on what Anthony's currently teaching me through that is that, and then you bringing up hearing Angela's heartbeat and realizing it's right there and that could stop. It's just, oh man, it's just so important to remember that, you know, that we, we will die. We will die. And the yep. people around us will be gone. And they will die. And we may see them die. And it's such a responsibility to have that, to, to hold that, to know that we will be there, or at least hopefully be there. I would like to be there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be there. I don't want to, I don't want to go through watching someone die. I don't. But I, but it's, it's so important because um, you were there when they were alive. You know, you want, you want to be there when they're going and they're passing. It's just, it's beautiful. It's just a very beautiful thing. Oh so that, yeah. 
I think you know, so too. Heartbeat. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. I mean, I talked about this before with somebody, but like, <laughs> beauty is like this. It's not just happiness. It's like happiness tied with the idea of loss. Yes. Or or, or temporal uh, ephemeral things. Yes. Um, yeah. Because we're phys- like our bodies won't. And you mentioned that we're just gonna we're just gonna go. It's just gonna not work at some point. Yep. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, man. Isn't that the truth? That's we know that for a fact. Yes, we know right. Yeah, and it's something that we don't we don't think about that often. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Because it's both sad and you know awesome at the same time. I think you know death. Yeah. Is- it's overwhelming. <laughs> I think. I'm really glad that you listened to her heart, um, or that you had. I mean, do you do it often? Do you practice it? Do you ever just listen? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. I maybe I'll do it like every few weeks. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll 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 do it just to remind me, like, hey, <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> yeah, you know? I've been, you know, I've caught myself doing that with Ant too, um, or his stomach. Like I'll mm. I'll put my my head on his stomach and I'll listen to his stomach churn and do like the the things, and I think about his stomach a lot. Yeah. And just going, oh man, if if his stomach ever was hurt, that would be horrible. That's you know, let's keep yeah. your stomach healthy. <laughs> yeah, it, it becomes real, right? It, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very real. <laughs> oh man, I I'm glad that we got to uh, dive into that and talk about that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with me, man. I really appreciate that. That's beautiful. Oh man, thank thank you for sharing as well. Um, so you ready for the last question? I'm ready. All right. So we as humans put up statues of people. Not because we love those people, but because we love what those people represent. When you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue of you, where would you want to put that statue and what would you want it to represent? Oh, it would be um, a plant. I don't know what. I just thought like of a flower. So it would be a statue of a flower and uh, it would be placed anywhere Anthony decided. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it would probably yeah and what yeah. kind of flower i don't know i I thought of a yellow blooming flower for some reason because yellow um is just so pretty and it's so happy so right. some like some sort of yellow blooming flower um i guess in my my will i would have uh it be a yellow flower of his choice because he he would be the one that i would have to burden this with the wow. you know, responsibility but i would do that to him i would i would say please you know make a statue a flower and it'd be yellow, your flower choice, and then you could place it wherever you wanted. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at we are Earthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.